was the opening music to This Gun for Hire, released in 1942 by Paramount Pictures, uh, starring Veronica Lake, Robert Preston, Laird Krieger, Alan Ladd, and more. Actually, the guy that played Alvin Brewster kind of reminded me of the crazy scientist from uh, Bride of Frankenstein, Tully Marshall. <laughs> I wondered if he was his uncle or something. I had to look it up and see if it was him, but it's not. But they could be related. Um, yeah, so you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and you can find us on the internet at www.classicmoviereviews.net or in iTunes or Facebook. Just search for Classic Movie Reviews, and you'll find us in there. And I'm Matt Johnson, and I'm recording from the Seattle area today. And uh, Bob Johnson, I'm recording here in Los Angeles, where we're on the last day of our kitchen remodeling, which I was reminded of when, while you were doing the introduction, Matt, I could hear them pounding on something upstairs in the oh. attic. <laughs> <laughs> I, hope, I hope all is well. <laughs> uh, this, this movie uh, is kind of like the breakout film for Alan Ladd. Uh, in his career, he did almost 90 films. Whoa. And sadly, he died when he was 50. So Jeez. that's a lot of films. Plus, he was big on radio. He had his own radio show in the late 40s called Box 13, which was a mystery kind of a drama. He would solve problems. He did over 50 of those. Oh, my gosh. Um, but four Alan Ladd films that I really, really enjoy... This is one of them. Then there's The Glass Key, which was also filmed and made in 1942. Then The Blue Dahlia, which I think was made in 1946. And then the one for which he won an Academy Award that just about everybody in the world has seen, Shane, in 1953. I really think he was an outstanding actor who dealt with a lot of personal problems in his life. How how did he end up dying? Was it he was in Palm Springs and he died of an of a combination of alcohol and uh, medication. Oh, that's too bad. At the age of fifty. Jeez. Well, uh, another actor in this movie that I liked a lot was Laird Krieger, and apparently oh, he know. he was only twenty four years old in this movie, but he was able to play people that were older than him, and he died at at thirty years old. So. I wonder what his career would have looked like if he'd lived longer and been in more movies. Wasn't he good? And uh, he made a lot of movies where he was playing a uh, a villain or someone that was kind of a slimy, suspicious character. Yeah, uh, he, he he made one called I think The Lodger, and it's sort of a parallel movie to uh, a serial killer. What was his name in London in the eighteen? 90s oh jack the ripper and of course veronica lake was amazing she's great she she's excellent isn't she i liked her magic tricks i was reading that she actually learned some of those tricks and then some of them were just camera uh editing and special effects but i thought that was a pretty cool twist on her character she uh, she played uh, more than a one-dimensional person because she was also involved in a kind of an undercover by uh, secret assignment. Yeah, that was an interesting twist to the movie too, because there was like this uh, secret 
uh, let's see, government sting on on uh, Tully Marshall's character, Alvin Brewster, to try to figure out what he'd done, which uh, we find out near the end of the movie, he's produced some kind of poison gas that he can that, that he then sold to the highest bidder, which was J- Japan. And of course, we were at war with Japan, so that uh, was not good. <laughs> I always thought that Veronica Lake, or I have always thought that Veronica Lake and Alan Ladd kind of looked like they were uh, uh, relatives of each other. They were about the same size, and they had that kind of blonde hair. Uh, they made some. They made the Blue Dahlia together, which was another excellent film noir movie a few few years after this one. Uh, and then, of course, Robert Preston, who plays the uh, detective, is always good. Remember him in The Music Man? Have you ever seen The Music Man? Meredith uh, Wilson. The music. I don't think I've seen that one. That's a fun movie. He's sort of a flim-flam man that comes into town and sells this whole town on the idea of having a band oh, selling cool. them instruments and all. Yeah, that. Uh, yeah, he did a good job as well. I liked his character. Uh, he played a pretty hard-boiled detective, but he had he also had great hair. In the movie. yes, and, a, and a, <laughs> yes, he did. He was he was also in a movie with James Garner called Victor Victoria. Oh yeah, I, I know that movie where Julie Andrews. Uh, plays a, a woman who plays a man and it was quite a convoluted Blake Edwards film. But Robert Preston was always excellent to watch. And you're right, he did have great hair. It reminded me of the hair that my dad had. My dad had great hair. Well, three of those movies that you mentioned, uh, The Blue Dahlia, The Glass Key, and then this movie, both uh, Veronica Lake and Alan Ladd were in all three of those. So they made quite a bit of mo- quite a few movies together that you liked. Was she in the Glass Key? I didn't know that she was. You yeah. remember that? So this movie, uh, Alan Ladd plays a very villainous character, fr- uh, uh, the Raven, uh, Philip Raven. I like that last name. Yeah, Raven. That's great. And uh, if you've ever seen the Steve Martin movie, Dead Men Wear Plaid. Yeah. There's some scenes from this film in that where. The Steve Martin character is confronted by Philip Raven uh, in that scene where uh, Raven has the cookie and then he shoots the person through the bathroom door. Oh, yeah. Those scenes are in that film. I think also some of the scenes from this movie are in Mulholland Drive. Like they did a little homage to this movie. You're right. Yeah. This is an excellent film noir where um, it all turns out well for the bad guy raven at the end where he saves a lot of things and uncovers the uh the plot if you will well what i liked about the character of philip raven was that he had a great backstory that really gave me a a feeling of empathy toward him i mean he was a he was definitely a bad guy and he was a killer for hire but when you hear hear about how he grew up and what he went through it's kind of like you know no wonder he turned out so so evil why don't you sleep for a while it's no good i'd only dream every night i dream i read somewhere about a about a kind of a doctor a psycho something 
If you tell your dream, you don't have to dream it anymore. That's right. You... You wouldn't laugh if I told you, would you? It's a woman. I dream about a woman. She used to beat me. To whip the bad blood out of me, she said. Our man was hanged. My mother died right after that, and I went to live with that woman. My aunt. She beat me from the time I was three till I was 14. One day she caught me reaching for a piece of chocolate. She was saving it for a cake. A crummy piece of chocolate. She hit me with a red-hot flat iron. Smashed my wrist with it. I grabbed a knife. I let her have it. In the throat. They stuck a label on me, killer. Shoved me in a reform school and they beat me there too. But I'm glad I killed her. What's the use? Nothing I can do. There is something you can do. Don't kill anymore. You're just killing her all over again. That's all you're doing. You don't really want to get Gates. What do you want me to do? Send him some candy? I know. I was, I was just reading that again, uh, where he reveals to Ellen, the Veronica Lake character, that he was orphaned at a young age and raised by an abusive aunt. That beat him all the time, and that's how he got that that uh, broken wrist. Yeah, she she was beating him, and so he snapped and killed her. For which he was imprisoned in a reform school, and there he was abused by the other children. I mean, that's very tragic. Yeah, yeah. yeah he had was, an ugly looking wrist. I think the fact that Veronica Lick's character, Alan Graham, kind of was able to hear his story and sort of not judge him, but just be okay with the fact that 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 had all happened and that he was, he was like a human being to her that that brought him around at the end to help her out uh, with revealing the, the plot that the, the chemical company had been involved in with Japan. There's so many great noir scenes in this. I, I really enjoy the scenes filmed at the railroad yard in Los Angeles. Yeah, those were great. They were kind of at night, and then there was that morning fog that was over the railroad yard. That was cool. It's uh, it's one of my favorite films, and 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 like I say, uh, it was the one that really propelled Alan Ladd into a much bigger career. Well, one of my favorite scenes was in the mansion of uh, Willard Gates, and he invites Ellen Graham over to his house for dinner, and he was so he's so creepy. Because, you know, it's just like this slime ball sort of uh, theater producer inviting the star over to his house for dinner. She's terrific. Got her act in St. Louis. Yes, very clever. And very attractive. He's audience proof. Get some bug-eyed. An official number's even better. Fit right into your Neptune club. What do you say? Yeah, by all means. Oh, Miss Graham. You're hired. Rehearsing Los Angeles tomorrow morning. He'll do the talking. I'm Willard Gates. 
I own the Neptune Club. There isn't a producer on the coast who doesn't know that I'm the perfect sucker. Uh, your act is very charming. Thank you. I wonder if we two might have dinner together tomorrow night in Los Angeles. Gilcuddy? My manager says no. I don't like your manager. Well, don't always take his advice. And people ask me why I back shows. Well, thank you, Mr. Fletcher, very much for digging her up. For 10%, I dig up my wife's mother. <laughs> well, uh, tomorrow night, then. You know, you just know what was on his mind. You know, when I was a little boy and the rain came down like that, my mother used to say, God is angry at someone. He couldn't be angry at you, could he? I don't remember bending any commandments. <laughs> you know, you're a very intriguing girl. I want to know all about you. That's a big little word, all. Well, practically all. I looked for you on the train last night. Thought we might be in the same car. I tried the observation car, the diner, the Pullman. I was in the chair car. Oh, really? Isn't that uncomfortable? Not for an old trooper. That is, of course, unless you're unlucky and your neighbor snores. Uh, were you unlucky? Oh, no. I sat with a very charming old lady. She told me all about her farm in Iowa and how her grandmother came out in a covered way. What's the matter? So you do know him? What are you talking about? You were with Raven on that train. I saw you. What have you got to do with him? He's after me and you're helping him. He'll use that gun, the gun he used on Baker. Why did you get mixed up in this? I'm a peaceful man. I hate violence. But don't think I won't protect myself. But there was some great music playing in the background. I think it was Swan Lake. You know, it was storming out, and th and then the power goes out, and that was a really cool scene. I love uh, the, 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 my, my feeling about Veronica Lake in this movie and in others that she did. She has a really cool demeanor. She seems pretty unflappable in just about every situation that she encounters. Yeah, even when they're crawling through that uh, drainage pipe to get out of the uh, factory into the railroad yard, she's she's still cool as a cucumber. And then I felt bad for her having to drop off of the edge of that pipe. It looked like it was about a 15-foot drop, and she had those high heels on. And oh, yes. I, I was happy that they had it written in that she had sprained her ankle as a result of that, because... Of course she would have. The, the thing that that I couldn't quite figure out is uh, the, the, the Laird uh, Krieger, William Gates character, didn't think it through when he gave the Raven, this hired killer, money that was marked such that he would be arrested or pursued. He had to have known that that was like playing with dynamite, that Raven, uh, because of the way he was, would track him down. I thought, yeah, well, I thought that was a pretty weak way to try to <laughs> bump him off. I mean, <laughs> but that was who he was—just a creepy double dealing. Although he got it in the end. Yeah, and he was—he had like no courage or backbone at all. Like he just gave it all up at the end when they were trapped inside of the Alvin Brewster's office there at the chemical company, and Philip Raven had them all at gunpoint and was telling them to write down 
basically a confession of what they'd done. We saw that gas too. Now you look like a young man who knows a good thing, Raven. Why don't you... Do what he says, he'll kill you. Oh, stop whining. I'll tell you, that new gas formula, he sold it to the highest bidder. You've just committed suicide. Gates. To the Japanese. You know this stuff. You write it and he'll sign it. I will not sign it. And don't you think I will, young man? You'll sign. And... <laughs> Willard Gates was ready to just, yep, yep, let, let, whatever you want me to write, I'll sign it, you know? I know, he was, he was, uh... Uh, he had no backbone. I, I hope I'm not making up the movies, but he also he also loved chocolates. Remember, he was eating. He was very overweight. Those mints. It was like those, those uh, mints, chocolate yeah. mints. Yeah, that was his, know, that was kind of his tell, like his giveaway. Because choke on those. Yeah, I thought the, that uh, that scene on the train was interesting too, where they're coming down from San Francisco to Los Angeles. And 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 she was in the seat next to uh, Philip Raven, mm-hmm. and then he pickpockets five bucks from her purse, and she finds out, and, and she's like, "Are you really that desperate?" <laughs> he was uh, his character was uh, was very interesting to watch. Um, the the fellow that I see every Friday, you know, that we watch an old movie together, um, said that. Uh, Krieger died because he was quite heavy, but then he went on a weight loss program, one of these uh, real quick weight loss programs, and, and it was too much for him to handle, and his heart gave out. Oh, God. He, he was trying to get down to a certain weight. I don't know if it was for another film role, or he just decided that he he looked too big. I, I don't know. That's awful. The film was very successful. Um uh, when I was looking at some of the budget on it, uh, it was made for like $500,000, and then I read in another location that it made at least $12 million. Hmm. Now, I don't know if that's in $1942 or 1940s dollars, but it's a very successful film. I, I can imagine my mother and father sitting in the theater in 1942 watching this as a part of the double feature with uh, one of our <laughs> one of our B level movies, because <laughs> yeah. this was definitely an A rated film. Yeah, I yeah, there, I was just kept thinking how well made it was, and just how it yeah. just set the mood and and draws you into it really quickly, and you know, right from the get go with the opening scene, he wakes up in that in that really seedy hotel. Right. Oh, and, it looked like he had more bed bugs than anybody could imagine. And he, he just sort of like sits up out of bed, starts getting dressed, and and then there's a cat that's outside the window, and he feeds the cat some milk. So it's it's an interesting like right from the get go. He's obviously kind of down and out, but then he seems to have some heart to feed the cat. But then the woman that comes in to clean his room just comes into his room without really waiting to see if he's there and he gets all pissed off because she kind of like shoes the cat away and then starts beating she, she, he starts beating her up it's after two can I come in now hey you in or aren't you get out get out 
dirty hands off me. Oh! You. You and your cat. Go on, beat it. Look at my dress. You ought to buy me a new one. Beat it, I said. Cheapskate. So then you're like, whoa, what's up with this guy? He's like being really nice to this cat and then just beats the crap out of this woman who's coming in to clean his room. So you could tell right from the first few minutes that he's a really complex character. And it kind of continues on as he goes to bump off that one uh, guy that's got the chemical formula. And he's, he's, he's nice to that little girl that's sitting on the stairs as he's leaving by picking up the ball that she dropped because yes. she looked like she'd had polio maybe. Um, but yeah, that was a great kind of opening couple scenes to set up his character, I thought. I uh, I did some background uh, reading on the director of the film, Frank Tuttle. And this guy produced films almost as quickly as Ed Wood. <laughs> but they he were did. more A-list in, movies, right? Well, in 1944, he directed seven movies. Wow. And, and his list of films is, I don't know, several, I mean, several dozens of films. Most of which, most of them, I'd never heard of. Hmm. They they were must have been turned out really quickly. And he he had a quote. I'm paraphrasing. He, somebody interviewed him and asked him why he did so many films. He said, "Well, you know, somebody's got to make them, and I figure I've got enough skill and craft I could make them very quickly." He had the nickname One Shot Tuttle because <laughs> he never did retakes. <laughs> no wow. matter what went on. <laughs> in this one, it worked out because I didn't see any real flaw in, flaws in the film at all. He really moved through quickly, though, I guess. Well, that was that, this was the era of the of like the big studios just cranking out movies, right? Like, yeah, now, like now we get like twelve to fifteen big movies a year, but back then they were cranking them out <laughs> obviously a lot quicker than that. Well, I think. There were like six major studios, and each of them made at least 50 films a year, at least. I know we've talked about this before, but was this the at the time when the studios also owned the theaters, or had that? Yes. Okay. Yes, so. they did. the uh, The breakup of that relationship occurred after the war in the late 40s, but at this time, that's right. They had they had a top to bottom integrated delivery system. So they had they had like a pipeline that they had to fill to get yeah. all these movies out to the theaters that they also owned. And I think you said that some studios would share a theater, like the theater in Lewistown, you said, had a couple different studio films that which that play. When I was really little, there was the one theater, but it, they would have, they would show Fox, Paramount, Warner Brothers, MGMO. Yeah. And then a second theater opened up, and then uh, some of the studios went to that, that place, so it, it, it uh, fragmented a little bit. Hmm. I don't remember which studios went to which theater but uh yeah i mean in the big cities uh they had to they had to keep that well isn't there a paramount in seattle yeah, there's a paramount in seattle yeah. now it's not a theater anymore it's like a, a theatrical stage play type of a setup but yeah i imagine back in the day that was a a big destination for movies can you imagine going to that theater with probably seats four thousand people and watching a film yeah it's huge huge <laughs> like an experience a different different experience than today for sure i i really like the movie i i uh i i give it a nine i'm almost at a 10 but i give it a nine i just think there's nothing wrong with it in any in any way 
Yeah, I was I was debating between a nine and a ten. I I think I'm gonna go with a nine as well, just because I thought the Laird Krieger character was a little bit goofy. <laughs> like he was a little bit bumbling, and that I think maybe that uh, detracted a little bit from me because he had like four different things going on all at the same time, and they all kind of like weren't that well thought out. And, and I know he was not good on long range planning and integrating different plots and i guess that's i guess that was his character but i also think it could have been tightened up a little bit around his character in the writing but i mean honestly it was a great film i loved watching it definitely one of the better film noir movies that we've seen i have to refresh my memory we memory we have reviewed double indemnity right oh yeah, yeah. that's a 10 to me yeah that, that i'm pretty sure we gave that a 10 yeah i think it, we did a extended two episode uh, review of that one where we went shot by shot <laughs> remember that we had a couple like that yeah that was fun but those take a long time to do two. i think it was i think that was like an hour long each episode too it was, i remember our review was almost as long as the movie that's <laughs> <laughs> a, a great movie yeah, billy wilder knew his craft yeah so we both come in at a nine for sure pretty good pretty good but so we're going to take a dip down our... into the lower end of the spectrum next time. Ah, uh, yes. Do you gonna... want me to announce our next film? Sure. Drum roll, please. <laughs> we're going to do a film made and distributed in 1965, The Orgy of the Dead. For two reasons, right? One is that it was produced by Ed Wood. Oh, yeah. How can it go wrong, huh? And we, we enjoyed Plan 9 from Outer Space so much. <laughs> that we... <laughs> yes. I'm going to have to watch this one somewhere in a sound studio, somewhere where I'm not laughing so loud that Nancy <laughs> thinks about my mind. And, and the second reason is that... The, yeah, the second reason we want to watch it is that Criswell actually has a, a, a part in the film that's not just sort of the opening and closing. And I, I can't wait to, to see that. You gotta know it's gonna be great with with Criswell. Oh my gosh! Or as he would say, Criswell. Criswell. All of my predictions are worthless. Thank you. <laughs> he plays the. Well, I think he plays a character called the Emperor or something. He like does. That. Yes, I, I looked. I looked it up. I'm already laughing, and I've never seen it. Oh my gosh! So that's next time. You uh, think that one played in drive-in movie theaters back in the day? Probably. I don't know where it would have played other than a drive-in movie theater. <laughs> or, or the Son of Svengoolie Saturday Night Special. Yeah. Son of Svengoolie. Hey, Dad, can I borrow the keys to the horse tonight? Yeah! Ah, thank you. Ah, good evening. I am the son of Svengoolie. Well, I didn't think you were Rula Lenska. Well, it's an honest mistake. We've got a movie for you tonight that makes Dawn of the Dead look like Godzilla meets the Brady Bunch. Right, guys? Huh? Uh, no. Oh, boy. All right. Well. All right. Well, that was uh, This Gun for Hire. And you've been listening to Classic Movie Reviews at www.classicmoviereviews.net. And I'm Matt Johnson wishing you... Oh, wait. That's your line. Stepped on your line. Go ahead. And this is Bob, this is Bob Johnson, wishing everybody happy movie watching. <laughs> We're out of practice. Yeah.
my darling, hold me. 